Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative turned marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. How does a native from Philly become one of Tokyo's hottest producers? In episode 21 of The B-Side, I chat to Peter Grass about all of this and a whole lot more. Peter Grass is an internationally recognized, multi-award winning producer who shaped the reputation of the Asia-Pacific's most dynamic production companies in New Zealand, Australia, Hong Kong, Singapore, and more recently, Japan. We cover so much ground. Peter talks about his love of anthropology, how an Ainu tree sap ceremony in Hokkaido led to a realization that at 25, he should dedicate his energy to more exciting pursuits. We jam on some of the differences between the Japanese advertising industry and that of the West. We dig deep on the craziness of Japanese ads and why they're so nuts. We discuss the role of tech and the rise of branded content and lament on where all the simple, clever, well-crafted ideas have gone. Peter is a super funny and incredibly interesting dude to chat to. I think I laughed so hard I had to edit most of it out. I absolutely love this chat. He's a fantastic guy, super creative. It's a wild one. You're going to love it. Cheers. I got the the mountain climbing boots from that shoot as shoot loot. Someone gave them to me, and um, I um, my wife didn't pack them. She she said they were too heavy when we moved to Japan, so I, I don't oh. have them anymore. <laughs> oh man. If you haven't realized, I'm chatting to uh, the great and powerful Mr. Peter Grass, aka Mr. Positive. Peter, how are you, my friend? I'm awesome. I am uh, in the middle of Shibuya. I'm walking up, and the reason I'm, I'm doing this is I have a meeting at 11, and in the meantime, I'm multitasking because I want to see my ad play on the, the Jumbotrons here in Shibuya. They're going to play on eight Jumbotrons, and they play... Huh, it's just a good opportunity to get it because I'm going to sit here and then watch it, and I'll be able to see get the work. So the, the point is... I. Oh, there's so much to do and always trying to multitask and trying to get everything done at once. <laughs> well, if anyone can do it, Mr. Positive can. And I'm going to try and be an, a consummate professional. We started talking about that. You are one of the world's most professional film producers, advertising um, luminaries. I'm going to stick to the script. You're going to love me for this. Um, any directing notes along the way, please feel free <laughs> to, yeah, to, we're, to we're give them good, there. We're but um, I am so keen to, to talk to you, and I know you've been doing some amazing things. You know, you've been in Japan for some time. Let's start with where it all began. Why don't we go back? Give us the prequel. Okay, so, so I'm from just north of Philadelphia, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, my parents sent me to the local Mennonite school. The Mennonite are a bit like the Amish, which is a bit, um, bit, bit interesting. They don't believe in technology, and um, it was just a very um, different upbringing. It's funny. My dad, uh, his ancestors came to uh, America and basically moved to Hilltown, Pennsylvania, and never moved anywhere else. And he would always say to me, why do you want to go everywhere? But my mom, uh, her side of the family, they, you know, they come to America in 1630 in an 
uh, traveled all over, you know, um, the world really. And then she really pushed me kind of um, subversively to travel to a lot of different places. So she signed me up for the Boy Scout in Finland. And then I went to South Africa with Rotary for a year. I don't know when, when I got the chance, you know, I, I, uh, I went to school, I studied anthropology because I was really interested in other cultures and uh, other, other places. I actually started as an English major and, uh, and it was uh, the deconstruction of the books just ruined it for me. It's like, it's like learning about music. It's like learning about your favorite songs and breaking them down. It just, just takes all the enjoyment out of it. So I got into anthropology, um, and then anthropology blew my mind because I was like, oh, my God, everything is man-made. Every thought in my head, language, everything is um, – everything can be reconstructed. Everything can be made anew. Nothing's permanent. And then as soon as I got the opportunity to jump out of the States, uh, I took this opportunity to study the Ainu in Japan, which were the original really? inhabitants of, of Hokkaido. Yes. Yeah. Now, now, your particular interest in anthropology led you to, to study the Ainu. Talk to me a little bit about what you discovered there and working with the Ainu or being in those communities, man, because I'm fascinated by the Ainu. I really am. The, the Ainu are, they, they were Caucasians. They, they came over from um, Russia, basically on the land bridge to Hokkaido. The thing that's most relevant to this conversation was I studied anthropology I went, I had the uh, opportunity to go to Japan. Uh, I decided to go to the most remote place in Hokkaido. I got there. I was all ready to live and breathe uh, the culture, to do my field work. You know, I'd re- read about Malinowski and uh, Evans Pritchard and all these great ethnographers, and I was going to go and, and do that. And then I think on my third tree sap ceremony in the wet standing around with a bunch of old people watching some uh, guy take sap out of the tree and uh, burning some 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 bark and everything I thought this is boring as batshit what the fuck am I doing um, and it's it's and it's 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 not to denigrate the culture or anything, but just imagine you're a 25 year old guy, yeah, and yeah. you've like got these high ideals because you come out of academia yeah. and you want to live those great ideals, and then um, you do it, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, is this going to be my life forever? Because I am young <laughs> and full of you know energy, and I just wanted to like. You know, it wasn't a, the sort of the tree sap you were looking for. <laughs> no, it was just like not a twenty-five. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So it was just too much, too quick. I mean, I would love to do it when I'm sixty or seventy, or you know. But well, I know what your your semi-retirement plan is, man. I yeah, can just see it. It was, it was just funny. That was a real life changer. And then um, uh, I ended up uh, learning Japanese, and then. Uh, getting into it and then my brother had a he has an agency in philadelphia and then he invented uh hendrix gin and uh he also invented uh, sailor jerry rum and his story very interesting story which was quite inspiring to me was he created those great brands and then well he created the first one hendrix and he introduced it to his client william grant and sons and they went oh awesome idea ad man that's cool. Let's make it. And then he made it and he went, fuck me. I've just given that away from my retainer. Oh my God. 
And then he created Sailor Jerry Rum um, and went back and they said, awesome ad, man, let's do it again. He said, no, you got to license it. And then he ended up selling that brand to them. They bought that brand for $40 million. Wow. So that was a very, very uh, like, oh, wow. So he came to Japan and was like, what are you doing? You're living in a closet. And I was like, I, uh, I, 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 I want to be Japanese. I, I love my Japanese girlfriend. I was playing kendo. Uh, oh, really? I got my, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I got my belt in, in kendo. And I was like very, very uh, focused on that. And then um, uh, he came and was like, no, you're definitely not doing this. Come back to Philadelphia and run the Puma. He just won Puma as a client. And he said, come back and run Puma for me. And I, I, I said, okay, I'll do it. And I remember telling the Board of Education, I'm sorry, I have to go. I have a job opportunity in America. And it was, it was just a no-brainer. I went back, and then I was flying to Germany. And then we, we got Puma Worldwide uh, as a client because uh, of our good work in the U.S., uh, and our U.S. brand manager became global brand manager. And then they, they said, well, you're only working with Pete and Steve Grass, and they're going to do the entire world of Puma. I was like 25. I was maybe 25. No, 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 no. I was, no, I was like 23, and I was on a plane flying around the world to every single Puma market in the world That's fascinating. to visit them and work on their advertising. And then to cut to the chase... I was in Australia and they put me up at the Novotel in St. Kilda because Puma's in Moorabbin in, you know, in Melbourne, in, in, in Victoria. Melbourne, yeah. And then I walked into the ESPY, the Esplanade Hotel in Melbourne. And then I actually spent like the next uh, five years of my life trying to get to Australia, which by way of Hong Kong, New Zealand, Sydney, I still have never lived in Melbourne. And I, I've been in the ESPY now and it's not what it was, but at the same, that's what, that's what drove me down under the love of that, um, that bar. I was like, what a amazing, amazing place to live <laughs> <laughs> straight from Philly down to Melbourne. But, um, what was it about Melbourne that you thought drew you to it? I think I liked Australian candor. I think I liked the, the, the frankness of, of people. I wouldn't say that now. I think I would say that of, of, about everywhere except for the Eastern suburbs of Sydney. I think that, <laughs> I think that that, that is not Australia. A, a certain amount of innocence, you know. They talk about the. They talk about a, a, an American innocence, you know. They talk about the the age of exceptionalism and the the American innocence. Well, I, I really felt Australia kind of kind of had that in a way. It had a had a and, and the civic duty. And I love those Australian ideals, you know. Civic duty, give it a go. It's kind of like a new world innocence, isn't it? It's this optimism and, and that permeates our culture somehow, you know, like the shake off the old world kind of class systems and hang ups. Except for the eastern suburbs of Sydney. <laughs> then they're the most classist ass wipes on the planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, in terms of Kendo, you're not going to pick you up on this because I love my martial arts. You know what's I'm lucky in my life, I've been in a lot of different places. And then when you when you see people, you know, and you meet people and they're really good at something, you're, you're really missing out if you don't take the opportunity to learn what they know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I had, uh, I worked with uh, a guy who was just crazy about kendo. He was like seventh or eighth Don, which is like very, very few, few of them. He's a real young guy. Uh, and then he was, 
in a very Japanese way, was very kind, but also very persistent that I learned exactly how to do it, uh, how to fold, you know, my dogi and how yeah, to do yeah. every single a- level of every detail in the right way. And it was a real, it was a chance to really learn a Japanese mind in a way. I mean, it really, really did, did introduce it. And that's funny, you know, my Japanese isn't, isn't great. It's not like someone who's studied Japanese for all their life and their Japanese is amazing. And that's why they're in Japan. Yeah. Uh, in your life, if you, if you want to move somewhere and like learn the language and then, and then work there, you can do that and then like do everything to learn the language. And you might end up working at an airline or a call center or a hotel or something. What you need to do is go to the place, learn enough language to, to understand the culture and then, Go away and make sure that you have something to offer that place to, to, to come back and then have something that other people want. You know, I had a friend who studied like like the highest level of Japanese and uh, he ended up getting a job with the American Foreign Service, which which isn't bad. But uh, I, I did a creative ended up doing a creative job instead and um, came back, and then I had something to give and something to impart to to Japan, and that's 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 the reason it's worked for me. Because if I was just a a Japanifier or what we call a a Weibo, uh, someone who's just crazy about Japan, you don't have that much to offer to the culture because you're just so interested in what they, who what they are. You're not giving something; they're actually interested in want some you to bring something to the country anyway i don't know if i've explained that well oh, you not, totally have and it makes total sense i mean for those who don't know pete peter is one of the most uh, prolific producers and he is responsible for some of the best ads that the apac region has produced um he built a career in uh, australia and new zealand and hong kong singapore and then went over to japan with this uh, a wealth of knowledge and an amazing storied history of producing fantastic work so based on what you were saying you went over there with momentum and you definitely had something to offer them how has that been for you working over in japan and and um what was that like sort of making that shift and almost moving away from an established empire back in um, the asia pacific i.e australia new zealand that's a that's a major major story i worked at a company and then built that company from basically nothing to something over the course of 12 years, uh, first in New Zealand and then uh, brought it to Australia and then really put my back and muscle behind it. Um, but, you know, I never had any ownership in it. And uh, that was always promised ownership and was always promised uh, to that all that hard work would be rewarded. And then um, like every film company, uh, someone at the company decides that they really want to make features. They don't want to make commercials anymore. And then they overinvest in, in a feature. And then suddenly there's no money in the company. And because um, they've invested everything in something that they're going to get a return on. And then you're suddenly saying, okay, well, but, but what about me? I've put everything into this. Uh, well, how's it going to return to me? Yeah. And then uh, I had a dangling carrot to move to Japan for years. Come up here, help us start a film company. I, I basically had no choice other than to do it. I, uh, I, I remember 
Hannah was sailing on Lake Macquarie in a little dinghy and it was terrible weather. And I was in the car and uh, I just called up and said, hey, if uh, if you pay me for January, I'll be there February 1st. And they said, deal. And then I had to go and tell my wife and family I'm going to move up to um, Japan and try to um, make a go of it because I can't pay the bills here in Australia because because they the companies I don't say squandered the money, but I think they 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 finally got a return, but it certainly wasn't coming to me, which is heartbreaking after and and I mean you know and everybody else knows the the the, the passion and everything that I put. Into you that were the company. face of that company. I mean, we won't talk about it. people who know know, but you were literally the face of that company. That's why it is such a surprise that you didn't have skin in the game. Like I really thought you were one of the co-owners when I first met you. That that was right. the influence you had. I know what a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> was so so trusting. It was um, it, almost the story of your brother and and Hendrix, right? I mean, yes, yeah, yes. But 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 here's here's where it makes good. So that's interesting, and, and and I do like to tell people I went to Japan by myself, sat in a uh, like a, a shitty company apartment in a hot bath, drip drip drip, thinking how do I get my motherfucking money back? The great thing was I sold in this. Big campaign. I sold it to Shoot New Zealand. I called my partner. You know, I knew as soon as I told him I was leaving, the roller doors would come down. I'd never get any money back. So I said, uh, I've got this big job. It's going to shoot in New Zealand. He was like, great, great. How much? How much? And I told him the budget. He was like, oh, my God, amazing, amazing. Well, I went down there and we shot it. I came back to Japan to do the edit. And then he said, where's my second 50? And I said, here's the deal. You owe me a lot of money. And he said, fuck you've got me. And then with that, uh, I was able then to break free. I was able to um, get out of the company that I was, you know, enslaving myself to here in Japan to try to make good and support my family. And then I was able to to go out on my own. And I told my wife, I'm, I've just quit my job. And she went, Oh, no. Oh, my God, what? What? And I said, uh, Well, I just, I just had to. It's making me miserable. And she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I, I don't know. And she said, well, you're Mr. Positive. I'm sure you'll figure it out. She said it when I, when I quit the job. And I said, there you go. That's the name. Because I was actually thinking about the name forever. And then the name also really relates to doing production in Japan. Because yeah, I was yeah. very lucky. I came to Japan and I instantly got a... Um, uh, because of my credentials and because of what I've done in Australia, I instantly got this... Uh, Nike Just Do It campaign and uh, like put my heart and soul and everything into making it great. And I still think it's one of the, the best. It's still on number one thing on Wine Kennedy Japan's website. And it's still one of the best things they've, they've done. And as I was doing it, everything was a no from the, the local crew. Every time I said, I, and Japanese classically don't say no. You know, they go, mm, ah, ah. But, uh, or yeah, I would say they suck wind because they go, mm, difficult, but uh, they never say no. But on a shoot, can I shoot over there? No. Can I, can, oh, really? uh, wow. can I, can, can we put the camera there? No. Uh, okay. Uh, so it was very, very frustrating. And then I remember telling everybody, hey, what I've really learned in Australia and New Zealand is that um, can do itness. Uh, of stuff. It's like, uh, oh, Pete, you can't shoot there, but actually you could shoot there. And the crews in Australia and New Zealand are just great that way. So what? Pretty resourceful, aren't they? So yeah. what I wanted to do was bring that positivity to production in Japan. And so Mr. Positive was 
no, I'm not going to shut down every single little thing. I'm going to try to make it great. You know, I'm going to try to make it work. I'm going to do my best. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about your crew over there. So, so how big is it? Who are some of the clients you're working on? Um, what's some of the work you may have produced more recently? I know you've mentioned Nike. Oh, yeah, we did the Nike Just Do It campaign. We did Adidas. We've done Air Jordan. That's just in the sports brands. We've done uh, Lexus. We've done Infinity. That's in the car brands. Uh, we've done Coca-Cola. Uh, I, I've done a lot of great work. I've done service work, and I've done a lot of great work for local Japanese clients. And as I said, I'm in the middle of Shibuya right now staring at the eight Jumbotrons because the ad... Yeah, it's going to come on pretty soon. Is, is, is come, no, no, it's already come and gone. I've recorded it a couple of times. But um, we do local work. But one of the funnest things that I did was last year I shot an ad with uh, Tom Kuntz, great director, uh, commercial director, and um, Hoytavan Hoytema, who shoots all of Christopher Nolan's films. Oh, really? Uh, the DOP. And we, we shot people singing scat. Fantastic. In a subway. It was all underground. It was the darkest of dark. I mean, it looked like Jacob's Ladder. It was like the the craziest set. We worked so hard to make it. And then because of COVID, no one's singing on subways anymore. It'll never go to air. Never. All the Olympics work. I mean, it's the story of my life. I'm glad that people think I'm successful because uh, I we lost uh 1.5 million in production dollars uh wow. when covid hit because all the olympic work was going to oh, come yeah man i mean yeah 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 well what can you do yeah can i pick you up on that point you know we know that many businesses have suffered uh due to the covid restrictions and all the various um things that have shut everything from shutdowns to social distancing what are some of the ways, I guess, you've, you've worked around these restrictions? Just give us some examples. I mean, things in two weeks, things just fell over. We were shooting big, amazing, you know, Olympic commercials, and then it all bottomed out. And it was like, okay, what am I going to do? Oh, my God, I work with a lot of farm people in Japan because I'm that farm positive, you know, link to, to working here. And then um, it's all going to shut down. Nobody can come in. The borders are closed. What are we going to do? So I wrote a book. I wrote a book. I wrote the Japan Production Guide. It was a guide to COVID-safe production protocols and remote shooting in Japan. And it's published on Amazon. That's fantastic. And you can buy it for five bucks. Or you can just go to my website and get it for free. And then it looks like the Anarchist Cookbook. And I'm going to put out 40. I, I, I hope in my lifetime I put out 40 editions. And then have that's um, great. I didn't think I'd get you on here to plug a book, mate. But <laughs> here we are. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's going to have a, it'll it'll have the, the best restaurants. It'll have that's things great. about Japanese culture and stuff. It'll be like a um, a Lonely Planet guide to production. The, the point was, uh, I didn't sit down and go, okay, let's let's open a bottle of wine and just relax. I opened up maybe ten bottles of wine and I work like a motherfucker i just like it just just went crazy out of fear out of out of utter utter fear that the whole world my livelihood was going to end and then and then i got a couple good i got a couple good opportunities and it's a piece for uh estee lauder la mer uh nice skin cream that's gonna come out very very soon and it's funny it didn't have a lot of money and then i when we were in production, everybody was like, oh, this job doesn't have a lot of money. But 
were doing like really amazing things. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of like after COVID, it was, she was the first girl that asked me to dance. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to do my 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 absolute best. And I just have continued to do that on every single job. And it's uh, it communicates to other clients that we're, we're, we're we hold the magic key to making uh, a positive out of this negative situation. And we, we continue and it's, it's just through passion of production. And that's, and that's what we've done. We had to look internally and then uh, I have not wanted to work with Japanese uh, clients. Uh, they, they do meetings after meeting, after meeting, their process is, is quite sticky and laborsome. Uh, I, I, I like to work in the Western way of, production i'm comfortable and used to that but i stepped out of my comfort zone and went and knocked on a couple local doors and they greeted us with what open arms to say yes we we'd love to work with you it works great uh and then we just we just had to shift i hate to say pivot because a lot of assholes use that fucking word <laughs> we've all been trying to avoid <laughs> using that word yeah what are some rules of thumb when doing business as a producer in japan Number one, it's it's a very different creative process. So it's the agencies are basically media media companies. Now they would hate to hear me say that, uh, but the agencies are basically media companies that do um, media buys. Uh, the historically the the creative has come from the directors. Uh, the creatives at Japanese agencies are kind of like um, glorified suits in a way. Mm. Um, so uh, the key, w- rule of thumb would be that the idea can always get better and you can always, you always push for it. They also don't seem to do uh, all that testing. I, sure. I think yeah. it's like there's just, they make, it's kind of like when we were at Puma, we didn't do any testing. We, we made a lot of stuff. We had good taste. We, put, we, we relied on other people's good taste. Uh, and we ran it. If it didn't work, we pulled it off and we made something else, which was, which was quite good. You know, Australia's a, a bit hard that way. They, they've, they've really taken the, the testing pill. You know, they've bought into that whole, whole thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very, very oh, totally. cautious. So that's, that's one rule of thumb. Um, and then because the directors do so much of the creative and because we have been called on to, to do the creative, to do the um, – to – uh, do the creative in response to, to strategy uh, and then to execute it. For that reason, Mr. Positive has now just launched as a creative agency uh, as well, uh, in addition to doing production, That's because fantastic. we are asked to do so much of that. So just to reinforce that point, the production agencies and the director uh, that represents that production agency is coming up with creative ideas. Absolutely. Although that happens here, we've got to do a lot of dancing behind the scenes to make it look like that's not the case. Well, I mean, you know how it is down there. I mean, the creatives are very good. They're very, very good creatives, and they come up with ideas, and then those creatives have a, uh, a conversation with directors, and then the, the ideas get better, and there's that, that great... Yeah, yeah flow of ideas it's it's the same here in japan except that you know a lot of times in australia the just to talk about australia as being the western you know uh yeah, yeah. the one the representative uh place because we both have experience there you know creators are re- very very protective of being the only guy who's come up with the idea and everything's his thing and you know that's bullshit too you know yeah. i remember when i i did team i 
I did for Carlton Dry my first campaign. Uh, they wanted to write um, Team Dry. They wanted to write some interesting scenarios. And then I, I introduced Bob Odenkirk, you know, who went on to do um, Breaking Bad and uh, what's that, uh, the lawyer thing or whatever. He's like big comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I introduced him to come and help you know, people, people. This ambulance going by. So I uh, I introduced him to come in and help as a writer. And then I did a press release that said that, you know, we, the production, not only bringing in Mickey to direct, we brought in Bob to, to enhance the scripts. And they were furious. They oh, were really? Like, oh, yeah. my God. How could you say that? Our writers wrote everything. Nobody. And that's bullshit. That's a good thing about Japan is that you'd think as anal and buttoned down as they would be about every little thing when it comes to the creative they're actually quite open and quite loose they're like show us your ideas and then you show them their ideas and they go hmm let's have a think and then maybe we can do this we can learn so much from collectivist cultures i know you're going back to your love of anthropology and uh, and i love cultural anthropology and i love the way uh, collectivist versus individualist cultures approach things like the gnarly little pointy end of business like this who owns the idea and it just doesn't surprise me that in japan that uh, collectivist and i'm talking in very broad and making these very blanket statements here i know uh, we talk about collaboration it's got to be a cultural thing right and and that's an example of it. Yeah, this collectivist cultural collaboration that permeates everything they do. It's it's going to be hard for um, our Western brethren to adopt some of those things. Well, they just they just should. I mean, uh, who, who cares? I mean, the client pays for it, so and mm. they like get they pay for us to collaborate, and then everybody gets a credit. You know, it's so silly there that Machiavellian kind of thing are like, oh, production companies want... I remember the conversation. Production companies are going to become the agencies. Oh, the agencies are going to become the production companies. Oh my God, I'm so scared of Plush. Why would you fucking be scared of Plush? You think Plush is going to do a better job than you can do? Well, then if you think that, then you shouldn't be doing this job. You should be doing something something else. Speaking of creativity, what's your creative process? Do you, do you have one? Oh, that's so funny. People talk about that. I, I, I honestly, uh, and I don't know if this is like, uh, uh, this is like revealing the, um, like a Masonic secret or something like you're never supposed to reveal an industry secret. You know, they do all these talks about creativity and like, they're always talking at can and stuff about creativity and how you get creativity and create I mean, come on, isn't it like, Either you, you got it or you don't. <laughs> who fucking sits down at a table and goes, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to be creative," or or whatever. I mean, if you want to paint a painting, you'll paint a painting, and then you'll just put everything you 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 have into it because you want it to be good. Yeah. It's like, I, what is my creative process? I don't know. Maybe it's a Protestant work ethic. Maybe it's like <laughs> I can't, I can't not deliver. Oh my God! Here's my ad. Let me just get this. Yes, I got it. Good on you. We got your um, ad, baby. Hey, can we see that ad? Can you share? Can you share? I will share. Yeah, fantastic. I, I just got the tail end of it. You know, you can only hear the. It's, it's on eight different screens, and it's on each screen once an hour. So there, it's on quite a bit, but you don't know which screen is going to be on. Screen to look and then at. You yeah. Just, you just hear the. Uh, you just hear the music, which we actually got produced in Tel Aviv, Israel. Bizarre, bizarrely, yeah. 
I'm picturing well, Blade Runner, like like multi screens, bright flashing lights everywhere. Oh, I'll take a, I'll take a picture here. Yeah, oh, do it. Actually, I have two ads on these screens. Here's the other one. Um, so, but but where was I? I was going to say um, you were talking about the creative process and how it's there. There is no process. You've either got it or you don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you, you just have to. You just sit down and work on shit, don't you? And then it has to be has to be good. And then I, I, it has to be confidence. I mean, you have to be confident in sharing sharing stuff. Talking about collaboration and in Japan, there being less of a barrier to collaborating due to their collectivist leanings. What are your yeah. thoughts when people say if you get too many people swapping or collaborating with the intention of coming up with an idea, you end up with a camel? Do you do you buy that? Yeah, too many cooks spoil the broth. That's what we we, we always say. Uh, Yes, Japan's, uh, you know, I think that's, and I'm glad you asked that. I think Japan has an appreciation. They need, it's a very collectivist culture. Things can't get done because everybody has to have a meeting. There has to be consensus about everything, except they really will follow a leader. And directors here have, and every company, every big company has its, its, its star, its big leader. Um, and they, in a commercial production, they really do give, they give the director a lot of respect. Uh, they give his ideas priority. And then it, it, it does drive some other people on the team a little crazy because if you have a director who's, and, and Japanese directors, by nature of being Japanese, in a Japanese world, I mean, this is hard for me because I've really been trying to um, bring up the, the half Japanese, half something else creative people uh the the foreigners like me living in japan yeah yeah, yeah. uh and it, yeah, of course you know there's 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 certainly a priority for the home team uh but uh it can be frustrating because everybody listens to the director and the director's kanto so kanto-san what does kanto-san think and then but you know it, in 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 the good situation where you have a good director and there's so many great directors here in japan he leads so he, i think he he helps it not uh, have too many cooks to spoil the broth. But what am I talking about? I'm looking here at like a hundred shitty ads that obviously, went, like you see stuff and you go, what the what the hell is going on there? I have no idea. Yeah. So that, that's a really interesting point because when I say Japan and I say advertising in the same sentence, people think wacky, kooky, crazy ideas. Where does that come from, man? And is that is that a true representation of the sort of work you're doing now or you, you see in Japan? So um, that's another thing that we, we, we talk about and that uh, I, what I appreciate about advertising is that uh, it takes note of a human insight, uh, builds on something quite uh, – human or personal or human truths or something like that whereas in japan the ideas are very visual everything's visual uh and and that's why everything's wacky and crazy it's all the 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 visual is the idea that's the idea so there's no higher level meaning that we're not getting it's just just make it nuts make it visually stimulating and incredibly over the top right and why is that because they're 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 shallow uh uh limited minds no hell no the 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 they they do do great human truths they do great human insights the media itself is typically in 15 second ads in japan in the 60s were all over a minute long they were all they were all very and then someone at Dentsu said oh my god if we cut it into 30 seconds 
uh, we'll make twice as much money. And then someone else said, I've got a good idea. Let's cut it down to 15. And then they cut it into 15. And then that was like, you know, massive, uh, you know, extract the most uh, money you can for the media budget. Uh, so what are you going to do in 15 seconds? You're going to go, here's a crazy image. I'm a celebrity. Buy it. And then a mnemonic. Dun, dun, dun. So that's 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 the pattern, you know. It, it, that's really interesting. It's almost a dystopian future for broadcast um, television advertising. You know, everyone's fighting for attention, right? You know what I mean? And you'll optimize towards certain things that grab that attention or engage. You know, a crazy image of cat. Um, jumping out of a hot air balloon dressed as an elephant, you know, and then you go boom, bang in 15 seconds. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. But, yeah. but internet, you know, and Japan is historically a real TV market and people have a relationship with their television still. Mm. Uh, but, you know, of course, internet, things online has, has changed things. And then people, they, they've been able to do. Story storytelling has that affected you as a as a broadcast producer ultimately, or are you just moving? That's just the channel that your wares are now shared, so it really doesn't make much of a difference, right? We're consuming video, whether it be online or through traditional channels. No, nah, I mean it's uh, that's that was a great thing. I remember I did this Pharrell Smirnoff vodka ad for Leah Burnett in Sydney, and then I remember. I remember the agency producer called and said, do you do content? And I was mm, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I do content. Uh, and she was, I was like, what do you mean by content? I mean, content. we do feature films, we do feature films through IDENTS. I mean, what, what do you mean by that? And she was like, you know, stuff for the web. And I said, well, I mean, that Pharrell thing was made for TV, but they, they, they premiered it on their Facebook page. So, you know, yeah. So I do web content. Um, there's um, a crazy man in the street. Uh, there's. Um, Does Japan have crazy people? I didn't realize. They're also oh, buttoned down. They, they do. It's the, the you know, the, the, it's so funny. There was a guy going crazy here the other week. Eight cops came in and like with their jujitsu moves, they like just picked them up and carried them off. <laughs> like, <laughs> horizontally in, into a van you know you yeah, just didn't yeah, even yeah. see it like they, yeah. they grabbed them and then tipped them over and then just put them <laughs> in anyway i back to back to what i was saying the web thing is really interesting so we were um we were shooting something yesterday no not yesterday the day before and they were like uh what frame rate should we shoot it at and we're like oh well 24 i was like well we shoot everything at 24 but it might go to, to air in india okay 25 uh, and then it might go to TV. And then, of course, all the crew were like, what? TV? This is for the web. And I was like, who the fuck watches TV anymore? I mean, they, they, they were like, everything's on online. And then, I, but but somewhere like, like, I remember in Indonesia going to the Indonesian Ad Awards in Bandung and taking a bus up through the mountains and looking out of the bus and seeing like 100 people sitting around one TV set telling them to buy dental floss or you know um toothpaste so i mean tv still exists in those markets uh but otherwise uh i mean everything's online it's just a money thing it's like when when they say something goes on tv then all of a sudden like it becomes much more expensive but it just doesn't mean anything and it's like that producer saying to me do you do content do you do web content well doesn't everything i do go on youtube 
Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Now, are, there, are there any trends you've noticed uh, over the years or any that are picking up speed more recently? This, this is a comment on Australia. I mean, that's the other thing I've, I've talked about. And people say, why did you leave Australia? And I was like, you know, the, the budgets became so small and then mm-hmm. it, it all became a technology thing it was the whole technology like uh, innovation and that's another word that they say at all the ad conferences is be like innovation innovation so uh that that came in and then it's australia is such a small market which again with the cost cutting and the cost controlling and the procurement and everything my other comment on that is i did a speech at can about it is like there's a thing called production value and they are just trying to squeeze every nickel out of everything. But what they don't understand is the real value in production is you have a lot of people who want to make art. And we've, we've seduced them into making creative, great things that are going to, you know, they can be proud of. If you don't squeeze every drop of uh, inspiration out of those people by nickeling and diming them on the budget, you will get hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of you know production value so that's 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 a trend that's a really stupid trend that that we've been we've been trying to battle and then with technology the marketing managers in australia you know tried to save some money and they were like oh my god uh, why are we doing these big ads we're only talking to like a couple like maybe a hundred thousand people uh here's an app that can reach specifically only the beer drinkers that i know uh, we'll buy our product and it'll save us money. It's targeted. It's uh, uh, quantifiable. We can, uh, you know, we're able to say exactly how many people we reached. But the thing is, those things don't create culture. I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there are great innovation ideas. I mean, I looked at it. It was like a little black book, the Immortal Awards, all the work from Asia Pacific. They picked eight no, four pieces of work that went through as a finalist in Asia Pacific. And all of them were for Australia. And all of them were like some like thing that someone made to like tell what the humidity was in your house or like some, that's, that for me as a filmmaker is kind of like not what I do. Um, Other film companies suddenly became like a bunch of tech nerds in their underwear working on apps and stuff and uh was like should we do that and i was like well no i mean that's not what i'm i'm interested in and then everybody started saying brands just want stories they just want to hear stories storytelling i also hate that word that word too because it sounds like we're telling storytelling i mean storytelling i'm a storyteller i, 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 I sat in the thesaurus thinking what the fuck is a better yeah. word when marketers fucking... start calling themselves storytellers i start throwing up in my mouth <laughs> fucking <laughs> fucking morons you're a fucking marketer dude you you, <laughs> you work in marketing how dare you say that james i'm a storyteller stories well told it's because a very advertising trope right and um it, it comes from a day where it was all about the idea connecting with people emotionally and just hooking them in. There was a purity and, a, and an innocence to these ideas. Nowadays, <laughs> I don't sound like an old fucker. Well, at this current state, if your idea isn't some app that connects via Wi-Fi to your dog's collar that then broadcasts a signal to your next-door neighbor's house that then calls the fire brigade when you've burnt your toast, then it's not a fucking idea. You know what I mean? Well, you, no, then you're lazy. 
you haven't thought about the other applications. It's funny, we, I, I was on a call with an Aussie creative recently, and you know, they, the, the, the Japanese idea and the Japanese film execution, I mean, we, we were talking about it. We were, we were going to pitch it and going to write a director's treatment and try to better that idea and then think of a really cool way to craft it up and execute it. And then the Aussie creative on the call was like, what if we, we need to build something like an identity. I, I can't imagine, uh, remember what it was. It was like you wanted to make something became like a bar coaster that when you took a picture of it, it took you to somewhere else to do something. And you know what? Everyone on the call went, Ooh, yeah, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Man, and it's so and fucking it's, frustrating. And you've got these people again. I who did call it them, too. I went, oh, oh that's kind of interesting. But that's what Just happens, man. Saying, that's what happens. You've got these product specialists or tech specialists who are now calling themselves marketers. Those that don't call themselves storytellers call themselves marketers when they're actually not marketers. They're tech specialists. They're product specialists. They know a lot about one uh, you know, vertical around a certain platform or a piece of tech. And when that's all the rage, when that's the shiny new marketing toy, you just put that into an idea. Do you know what I mean? Think about the really iconic ads when you um, – there's like an ad, like a Hilux ad from years ago where the guy – the car's got too much power and he's like, oh, bugger. Oh, yeah. oh yes. bugger. Yeah, he pulled the tree out. He just, you know, well, whatever. Like he, I don't know what happened. Yeah, I, just, I just remember, like, he pulled, like, didn't just pull the tree out. He pulled, like, the tree and, like, 15 other trees that were connected to the, through the root system. Oh, bugger. Yeah. <laughs> the car's got so much power. Yeah. And that's and it's, beautiful. It's that's like, beautiful. That's great advertising. That's, right? But yeah. we watch that now. But you know what? All the app stuff, the take a picture of the coaster that goes to something else. It will disappear. Well, the, it, nothing it, will beat a really awesome ad that is based on a cracker idea. Like, you look at those ads, yeah, the bugger ad or the unbeatable, you know, the guy who lost his Hilux and he finds it washed up on the shore again. <laughs> and yeah. he can still put the key in the ignition, start it up and drive yes. off with it. You kind of think, that's just freaking brilliant. I mean, it's great advertising. It's it's timeless. It's timeless. There's a certain value James, in timelessness. It's great storytelling. <laughs> So anyway, I mean, I think Japan's good because different than Australia, we have enough media and there's so much media. People aren't people are just happy to put something on a freaking jumbotron. Let's make something cool that goes on a jumbotron that people see and love. Now, of course, it's not as much time on, to see something on a jumbotron and make get a story out of it. But we, we can do some great filmmaking without trying to make uh, a, a technical leap into doing something that no one has ever done before. And I think it's just because the, the size of the market. Would you say the sort of work you're doing and producing with the directors in Japan is seen as quite different, quite cutting edge and uh, irreverent? Or, you know, what, what is your style of work compared to the, the local craziness? Oh, no, I think, I think we just do really um, good crafted filmmaking in that the, the, we, we put a lot into the, the image the quality of the image you know i like i like to do crazy too mm. uh everyone else we, is doing that though right so yeah i mean you know but i mean I, I i i love to do crazy i mean we did some we did some crazy stuff and it's it's fun but i think the point of difference with what we do is um we just have a real can-do attitude towards production and that is a real attention to craft i mean that doesn't sound that that just doesn't sound that crazy different but okay so 
I could say we, we do that. And then we, um, at the same time, uh, while we're doing that shoot, we have an app that hooks up to a, uh, <laughs> no, don't, a website. Please. Just stop there. Just <laughs> well, I mean, that's what people are fucking looking for. You can't yeah. say I, I do something really, really well. They're like, no. that's great. But I do something the, really, what really well. Yeah. And yeah. you can watch it on VR and yeah. it will, it will, uh, your whole, your It'll whole wash your experience butt. will show It'll up as make a VR. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> yes. I know. Everything can do. Yes. Yeah. All right. Hey, what's, I, think, what's, I don't what's, think we've articulated it super <laughs> clearly, but I think, I think we certainly voice the sentiment, you know? I think we've definitely voiced the sentiment. On to people who are doing things really well, big ideas, executed beautifully. Who's doing it really well? What's some of the work you love currently? Oh, well, I mean, you know, everything Tom Kuntz does is, is, is great work. Um, I still love seeing the, the Ulster Asian work. The fun thing about COVID was it was like it was a, a moment in time where you had more people, more eyes on screens. It was like the Super Bowl. I'll oh, yeah, my yeah. hat again. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I gotta get it. Um, one of it was, was great where uh, Good Oil did it actually. It was a um, it was somebody going to buy the groceries and she was coming back and the helicopter comes down and they were like trying to interview her and like why she what have you done and, and like uh it's oh. like what, what, like this big covid thing and she was like no i'm just going to get the dinner I saw you, know, there was, <laughs> yes. you, saw, you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah i know that one yeah it's it's like yeah yeah it, the helicopter I, scene I, was quite funny she was going down just going down and had to do the shopping it was so aussie it just, <laughs> it was so aussie it was like uh it was basically like an american I, you know thing, poor like branding though because we both can't remember who it's for no, it was Audi. It was i was for Audi. Audi. yeah 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 cool yep. Yeah. It was just, you know, it was a real good insight. It was, um, it was very Australian. It, it was, was a proper very, ad, man. It was a proper fucking yeah, it ad. Was a prop, it was a proper <laughs> ad, and it was done right at the right time. Yeah. And it just looked, it looked good. And I, I really, I didn't go that. That's what it should be, right? You talked about culture earlier. We've created this new cultural dynamic, and the ads, the brands that can sort of be relevant during this time and do it in a way that's entertaining. Well, that's right. It was yeah. rel- it was relevant. It was well done. It was, it was comedy. You know, I love comedy. I always, always, always. I always, uh, I, I have a, tr- I have trouble uh, shedding a tear over uh, McDonald's. Although I have done that, I have done that after Cannes. Funny, funny story. After Cannes, one year I went to the Museum of Television and Film in New York, and uh, they had uh, a thing which was the the greatest Super Bowl ads of all time, hosted by Dick Buckus, the coach of the Chicago Bears, and um, there was a McDonald's ad. Where uh, kid, d- dad, <laughs> kid gets off the game and he goes, "Daddy, can we go to McDonald's?" And he goes, "Oh, Jimmy, it's only halftime." And um, I had been drinking so much a can, and I'd been missing my kids, you know, so much. I just burst <laughs> oh, out. Jimmy, tears. I was like, oh! <laughs> oh god that's awesome oh that's so but funny you can cry in a mcdonald's man i've heard about your parties in can i i <laughs> you and you hold some parties man and you're you, will, will they will will you ever have yeah. a fucking party like that again I don't think we'll ever have one. Yeah, it's just weird. It, this COVID thing has kind of drawn the line on a lot of a lot of those more ostentatious uh, industry dudes. Would you say? Well, it's it's very interesting. I I actually wondered 
I mean, will we? Well, we've proven that we don't need to, right? I mean, the awards are... The awards go on, you know, life goes on, and, and it's almost like people going, fuck, we don't need an office, man. We can just work from home. Wow, penny drop, boom, you know. Let's renegotiate our leases. Let's, you know, get people to work from home, yeah. yeah and I know, but but the awards thing, now I, I have to say I haven't um, I haven't entered any, any awards this year. Do you think COVID has forced us to really take a hard look at ourselves and some of the things we were doing that were a little bit sort of maybe a little unnecessary so you know let's be honest you probably didn't have to enter every single award show (laughs) but you did like everyone else right everyone else did the same thing we probably didn't have to do as much schmoozing at those award shows but we all did so did the big tech companies and everyone else do you think COVID has forced us to have more of a sober look at everything we do everything from awards right down to how we work. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's very hard for me to think now to spend five grand to go to Cannes and maybe get a job out of it. But I'm worried, though, because if you don't, if you don't have that collision with other people from other parts of the world, what's the after effect? What's, what's the consequence What's the side of side effect of, of, of that? You do it very effortlessly. I know others kind of struggle with that because they put on a facade and they know, you know you're being sold to if you're in Cannes. You know what? Here's, here's what's fun is that I have said, man, my, my dad was a real, um, a real homebody, uh, mm. really hated people going out and being social and stuff. Uh, he just wanted to stay at home. He would have loved COVID. <laughs> he would have, it would have been. Yeah. And I've said this has been the perfect thing for all those introverts. It's like, yeah, oh my yeah, god, yeah, totally. I don't have to go out. And then with 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 the strict strict everything, um, my wife, uh, you know, is uh, very strict and 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 thankfully so. She's she's so good at making sure that I stay safe through this entire pandemic. Uh, but I said the whole COVID thing's really been good with the fun police. And the fun police are the procurement departments. And, you know, they're, they're going to say, hey, we're able to shoot all these things and we don't need to send anybody to Japan. It was pretty fucking stupid that somebody who, some hack who had zero talent was, was flying business class to come here. And then instead of focusing on the work, was up my ass like a piece of glass about where's the best sushi in fucking Tokyo. And then left disappointed if he couldn't get a table at fucking Jiro. You know, it's that's bullshit. That has definitely that shit's got to stop, changed. right? Yeah, that that stuff has definitely changed. I mean, nobody, you can see everything from your office. You don't have to go to Japan. It doesn't have to be this huge expense to get all that shit. I think will will stop. But what is the side effect? What will happen as a result if we don't go to Cannes and we don't go to any advertising awards and we don't. I mean, everything's been overblown with the awards. But if you don't have those things, what will be the side effect? So as a producer uh, and as someone who's really trying to motivate and elevate culture in our, in our company and, you know, in our industry, in our local industry, what events can we do? What can we do that's maybe more meaningful? What is, what is the next thing? That, I think, is a real opportunity. It's an opportunity where we've shaken off the fat shake trimmed off the excess what does a really good award show look like now 
Everything from the way the work's admitted, the way the work is showcased. The way the work is judged. The, 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 that's what's the thing. The, the, the judging is such a joke. And I've judged nearly every show except for one show. I also would love to see something other than the head of a network who is told every every judge on every panel from every country to only vote for the work from that network or and then make sure that they kneecap all the other work from any other network. Here's something I I, I but I I need to spruik a little bit on the call. So Mr. Positive, we have joined uh, per Pedersen, who used to run Gray Worldwide, we have joined him and 30 other companies worldwide, independent companies, to start our own network. It's called End the Network uh, because you put the company, Mr. Positive, End the Network. Oh, um, yes, I get it. Yeah. So what we've, what we've done is we've started an agency network around the world that we all own. Uh, we are all part owners as I- independent agencies in this this network it's not built by money there's no cost controllers we're not trying to squeeze every dollar we are just trying to uh align our our forces and the great thing is that in that case i don't have to be the technology guy i I, they appreciate me for what i'm good at doing and then there's another company that does uh long form scripted dramas and then there are companies that are only ideation companies and there are other companies that are very so we're trying to work together to do a independent network instead of trying to figure out how to get back to normal i think we have to be thinking what the next this future world is going to be anyone who's come to me with any kind of progressive idea what what the new world can be i'm in i'm, I'm in yeah. i want to know about it you know i want to be a, be a part of it and i'm very happy to put my shoulder to the wheel to try to see uh, what we can do. And I'm in, in, interested in this uh, independent collective. I think that might be the the future rather than going to Cannes or something. I, I'm looking forward to going to do a conference with those people, with those people that I have been working with in, a, in an intimate way. Because otherwise, if we're all working in isolation, you know, if we're all just working in our own countries, in our own market, in our own expertise, we won't grow. You know, we aren't, we aren't tested. Um, so I don't know. It's, I'm trying to figure out what the future will be. In, for anyone who wants to um, replicate your success, uh, what words of advice would you give to them? Don't decide what you want to do early. Be open to a lot of things and then find out what you, what you love and what you're passionate about. And then, and then like, I, like I said, you know, I, I went to the, I had a tree sap ceremony that I had an epiphany and was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. And then, uh, you, you, you know, you have to, you have to be open to, to changing. And when you, when you start to, to love what you do, uh, really do it well. I mean, my dad used to say this thing and be like, and I'm sure every dad says it. He's like, if you're going to be a ditch digger, make sure you dig the best ditch. That's a very Japanese philosophy. What they, you know, whatever they do, they turn it into their craft and their art. And if it is digging the ditch, they'll literally be the, there'll be a ceremony behind that ditch digging. What you're saying, what you're asking me now is actually really personal because my daughter uh, is graduating from high school um, next year and uh, she wants to, uh, it's so funny, I always said to her, do you want to produce? Do you think you'd want to do that? Absolutely not. They would never say that. But when she went to her grandmother's house in America, they said, what do you want to do in the future? And she said, I want to work in filmmaking. 
Um, she would never tell me that, but she wants to do something creatively, something that, that she can uh, produce. Uh, I think, you know, like I said before, uh, all that creativity mumbo jumbo stuff I think is, is silly, but I actually am wrong in saying that because some people just aren't in a, that environment that they are given the confidence and the motivation to, to, to make creative work. And I think you just always have to, to seek that, put yourself in surround. I mean, you are a result of your, you're the product of your social relationships. So try to surround yourself with creative people. And, and I think it, it'll, it'll start to come naturally. And then the other word of advice I was going to say is um, like I said, uh, and it's, it's, I guess it's, just, it's, it's linked in a way. If you want to move to another country and uh, work uh, in that country, don't focus on just the language. You have to get really good at doing something. You have to offer something to trying to find things that, that you can really give back. Hey, if you could distill that down into a little haiku poem or a bite of wisdom, what would that be? Be a giver, not a taker. Honest to God, if I have good karma, you know, the whole reason, like, I had such a bad deal in New Zealand and then in Australia, and it's all come back and made good, is because I'm a giver, I'm not a taker. Uh, I really um, play straight. All that k- karma really does could come back to you. And then, um, but it, it's, it's, it's nothing if there's not like some kind of frenzied, crazy hard work ethic behind it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to back it up, right? You work hard to execute your idea in a creative way and treat every obstacle with positive mr positive you have been an awesome guest man and i've really enjoyed chatting to you i can't wait till we can go back to japan and um i really would like to swap some sake in and please don't hit me with with sticks especially not kendo sticks (laughs) well i can't wait to get back to to australia i want to have a thing i dream of almost every morning is a bacon and egg roll with a little bit of barbecue sauce and a soft egg and uh, a great cup of coffee, and then that followed by uh, beer. And, of course, open arms, very happy to welcome you all here. Tokyo is a good time, and I know all the great places, and uh, I do love a drink. So, uh, <laughs> And a karaoke, I think uh, it's, it's fair to say that. You, you've got a pretty awesome voice, but I'm just going to throw you under the bus and say you're going to sing us out. Um, <laughs> where can people find out more about you? Where can people learn more about Mr. Positive? go to mrpositive.work is the website uh go to the projects page that's the best best view of what we do if you go to the people's page and click on producer there's my bio but mrpositive.work uh and then you know the other thing is i'm also uh i also run cutting edge post here in japan as well and then yeah i'm a founding partner at the network so there's there's quite a few sticks in the fire trying to trying to do uh trying to do everything I can to have the means to make the best work possible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, baby. Arigato gozaimasu. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, okay. Peter. Thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good stuff. Okay, I'm going to go. Thanks so much, James. Scooby-dooby-boo-boo. <laughs> If you'd like to find out more about me or the B-Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word, jamesbside.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at B-Side Podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please email me at hello at jamesbside.com. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. The B-Side with James Barrow is produced by me. 
and I really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, cheers.